Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're here to talk openly and honestly about miscarriage, stillbirth and all pregnancy loss. We aim to smash the taboo surrounding these subjects. And rebuild the topic in a way to support and educate women. Rather than isolate and shame them. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. everyone welcome to this week's episode of the worst girl going ever we're joined by lucy who is solo mum by choice hi lucy hi hello you've um sorry to interrupt you so early on in the podcast oh can you hear that <laughs> I, I knew this was going to be a thing having listened to many of the previous podcasts <laughs> what can you hear what is can you hear that the dog and the bone no, I don't know what you're talking about. It's my kettle. I forgot that I put my kettle on. It's whistling. <laughs> Sorry, one sec. I'll be That's back. Right. Chat amongst we'll yourselves. Yeah, we will do. All right. I've got two, um, two little sausage dogs downstairs, so they may uh, input at some point as well. <laughs> okay. The whistling kettle thing, though, what is she living in the 30s? <laughs> like, who does that if they're not camping? If they're not camping, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyway, she'll probably cut this. So, <laughs> um, but back to the badger waxing, as we were talking before. Yeah, we were just saying, listeners, how no one tells you when you're in your sort of twenties or teens or whenever you start. Well, you know, no one tells you when you start to sort of garden your lady area, maintain oh. your lady garden. No That's one tells gardening. you that by the time you're in your mid thirties, you'll have you'll have to maintain the the down to your knees like your inner thighs down to your knees did you ever watch um the uh lion the witch in the wardrobe i feel like mr tumnus i thought you were gonna say aslan <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> right with the inner thigh hair yeah aslan maybe for the beard yeah a combination of the two yeah. but also the nipple hair Right, so I plucked my, I know I told you I had three nipple hairs. I plucked them all last night. (laughs) No one tells you this is a thing when you get into like your early to mid to late 30s. (laughs) I used to be absolutely mortified by my nipple hair and I would never tell anyone, never talk about it. Uh, Because I thought I was the only one. I thought that was something very strange about me. And and the inner thigh, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't just stop at the bikini line, does it? It shouldn't be called a bikini line. It should be called just inner thighs. Mr. Tumnus. Mr. Tumnus. In fact, when that should be an option when you go and have a wax. Yeah, I'll have a full, full Tumnus. A Brazilian, uh, what, what are the other ones? Yeah, and a Mr. Tumnus. <laughs> yeah, that's what I have. But, you know, there are lots Hollywood. of things that we should be told. There are lots of things we should be told, yes. And that leads us on to all this fertility crap. Like... People think that you have you have sex, or not even you have sex. Did anyone ever know someone at school who like kissed someone, or you shared a towel with them and thought that they were yeah. pregnant? Yeah, we were talking on yeah. Instagram this morning actually about um, there's something like when when your best friend gets comes off their. Pill, I just shared that on stories. In the first month, they get pregnant from pre cum, and you're yeah. like, oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's bizarre. Do you remember, like, if you if you give a blowjob when you swallow, it might, it might make you pregnant. <laughs> yeah, the absolute fear, the absolute fear is just crazy. And then when you actually try and come to have a baby, you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> not not how it works at all. It's hard. Yeah. yeah, 
very especially if you don't have a man to try and impregnate you <laughs> it's even harder well yeah 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 I can imagine so that I mean Lucy tell us a bit about how you came to be part of the worst girl gang ever and and your story because obviously you're you are solo mum by choice which kind of does what it says on the tin right it does um, so I'll give you a bit of sort of backstory first. Um, so a few years ago, I met the person that I believed was the one. And I'd, ne- I'd never been somebody that had thought I always, always wanted children. It was sort of in the back of my mind, but I wasn't one of these women that was like, that's my purpose. Um, but I met this person and suddenly something sort of clicked inside me. And I, I was like, actually, I, I do. I really, really want children now. And this is the person that I'm going to have children with. Anyway, cut a very long story short, that sadly didn't work out. The relationship ended, but I was left with this longing um, to have a baby. And I was 36 at this point. And obviously, at this time in your life, you're sort of being told that your time's running out. And I was sort of thinking, well, hang on a minute, if I start dating now, I'm A, I'm really not over the relationship and there's a whole load of issues to deal with there. B, if I start dating, I'm essentially going to be trying to find a father for my babies, which is going to put an awful lot of pressure on the situation. Um, So I just started, I reached out to somebody that I'd seen on Instagram and had a little chat with her because she was a solo mum by choice just to get a bit more information. And I decided that um, I would have a fertility MOT just to see where I was at because um, I've never tried to get pregnant before. So absolutely no idea where things are and what what things were looking like. Can you Um, tell us what does a fertility MOT involve for anyone else who's listening and is thinking about getting checked out? So you need to, first of all, find a fertility clinic. And I personally went with um, London Women's Clinic in Bristol, just because I lived in Bristol at the time and they had Mm. good reviews. And I knew a couple of people loosely who'd used them. Um, So you go in and you have um, a transvaginal scan. So you have, um, it's like a probe, basically, that they... um, put inside you which I'm now very (laughs) closely acquainted with after the last few months Um, and they have a look in detail at your ovaries they have a look at how many follicles you've got and it just gives you a real um a good picture of where your fertility is at um and how they think you're likely to respond um to the various different fertility treatments it can also look for things like cysts or polyps fibroids all that kind of thing so it just gives you a real view of, of where things are you also have um, blood tests just to check your AMH level, um, which I think is anti-malarian hormone. That gives mm-hmm. an idea as well of egg reserve. Um, and they also do sort of sexual health tests and things as well. Okay. Um, after that, you then have a review with a consultant and the consultant will give you the results, obviously, and just talk you through what's the most appropriate treatment, whether you sort of need to think about getting a move on or whether you've still got time. And obviously, it's not a perfect science. It's they're just doing it based on what they've seen. Yeah. And then you can also go on because the two main treatments are IUI, which is um, intrauterine insemination or IVF um, with IUI you need to make sure your tubes are open. So in my case, that's what they recommended for me. But before we went on to treatment, they did another scan to just check that my tubes were open. Um, So yeah, it's quite, it's, it was quite eye opening actually, because I'd never really thought about my fertility at all. Yeah. What did they say to you once you'd had all the tests done? Did Um, they say you've got time on your hands or you need to crack on? 
they did they didn't say either to be fair they didn't say to me things look awful and you need to hurry up because you're running out of time they said your um your egg reserve is about average for your age okay uh, your tubes are open he actually the consultant actually when he they basically inject fluid into your uterus and it goes mm. into the he he kind of exclaimed when he did it and he said oh my goodness you've got perfect fallopian tubes and I remember giggling <laughs> and thinking okay well, that's that's something yeah not a <laughs> was that a HSG that you had yeah yeah did you find yeah. it painful no I didn't actually but I know an awful lot of people do um the worst bit for me was the speculum but I, you know it's I didn't find it too bad but no it was fine but I have heard oh. a lot of people had really bad cramping yeah um, I remember yeah. like like arching my back to get away from it and like threatening to like <laughs> you need to stop you need to stop been a bit crazy it's really painful they say it's just like a period pain but I guess it depends what your period pain's like I now realize I'm quite lucky with periods if that's what period pain feels like yeah so I had the MOT and they said based on the results and the fact that you're sort of average for your age we'd suggest that you start with IUI um so that's what I decided to do um it's hugely expensive fertility treatment um so there is that as a as a factor but I just sort of went along with their advice because I, I know a lot, an awful lot more now than I did 18 months ago when I started yeah. this um, and perhaps I wouldn't have done IUI if if I'd known um the alternative Why? sorry Why? Well, with IVF, it's it is more expensive, but there's also a chance for siblings because hopefully you'll get more than one embryo, um, and you're likely mm. to be left embryos in the freezer. Whereas with IUI, they literally just inject a vial of sperm into you, and then that's it. Your body has to try and do um, it's it's as it's as close to natural conception as you can get. Really, um, the odds are very low with IUI. It's about I think it's about seventeen percent per round um so why so, did they if the odds are so low why do they do it why do they recommend that because I think because they like to not pump people full of hormones if they can avoid it so unless they know somebody has got fertility issues they just like to try that because it's it's natural um so they wait for you to ovulate do they and you go you go in when they, when you're going to naturally ovulate and then you do the do the deed with a with a turkey yeah. roaster basically <laughs> is it much yeah. cheaper doing it that way no this was one of the things I didn't realize so with IVF you only need to buy one vial of donor sperm whereas with IUI you need a vial per cycle um and donor sperm believe it or not is well the, my donor sperm was 1200 pounds per vial um and that's stop it for five mil <laughs> so it's, it's insane um on four well yeah you'd like to think so <laughs> Bloody hell, I had no idea it was that expensive. Yeah. Along those lines, did anyone ever say to you, or did you feel yourself maybe, or maybe I'll just go and have a one-night stand at the right time? Or maybe I'll I'll have a chat with one of my male friends, see if they're up for it. Cross your mind? Um, It has definitely crossed my mind because, I mean, and we'll come on to this, I'm sure, but after the miscarriage, it wasn't just a question of, and I'm not saying this would be easy even if it was, but it wasn't just a question of, okay, well, we'll just start having sex again. It was a question of, right, I've got mm-hmm. a cycle to go through all the, the fertility treatment again. So, yeah, absolutely. If if I had a gay friend <laughs> that, that 
could do this for me, then that would definitely be a serious consideration because it's so expensive, it's so invasive, it's so unknown. I mean, I'm I think I've spent about fifteen or sixteen thousand pounds at this point, and I'm not pregnant and I have no baby. So and there's no sort of end point. And mm. you know, how, how much do you keep spending and how much do you keep going before you say, actually, this is getting a bit out of hand now? But and- you know along those lines like what have your family and friends suggested are they sort of supportive through and through or have anyone has anyone criticized you in any way no I mean I have I've told my family and I've told my very close friends um my close friends have been amazing and my family have also been amazing the only person who had slight reservations to start with was um my brother and he was I think a bit concerned that I was just sort of having a panic reaction after the breakup of my relationship um and just sort of going oh I need you know I need something to focus on I need to have a baby but he doesn't have children of his own and obviously men men tend to have less sort of well they don't have a maternal instinct so I think he was just concerned but he's completely on board now um that's good so yeah they've all been amazing um Sorry, we've gone completely off. <laughs> I know it's That's okay. So tell us about um, when you started the treatment. Yeah, so I started, I had my fertility MOT in January 21. And then I decided if I was going to do this, I probably should move closer to family. So I moved from Bristol to Wales. That sort of delayed everything. And I had my first round of treatment in September. Um, that one didn't work. Um, the second one did work. And I was completely and utterly like, oh, my God, I can't believe this has worked on the second go, given the odds. Mm. Um, completely just didn't expect it. Um, but obviously was absolutely over the moon. It's, you know, the, when you see that pregnancy test in your <laughs> pre um, miscarriage mind, you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to have a baby. Mm. July 2nd, that's when I'm going to have a baby and everything's going to be amazing. And a certain amount of you because of what you're doing and the way you're doing it as well you must have thought well the hard part's over right because that was the that it's so it was so complicated for you and others in your position that when you saw that pregnancy test it must have been like a sigh of relief time like oh thank god that's worked I don't have to think about that again yeah completely and you know you you don't have to keep going for scans you don't have all the admin you don't have the costs I was like amazing absolutely perfect couldn't be happier um so yeah told everybody and then I um for some unknown reason and I had no reason to think that anything was wrong but when I got to about five or six weeks I started becoming obsessed about miscarriage rates and statistics and I was googling it every day and like I say I had no reason to believe that anything was wrong at all but something in my head was like worrying and anxious about it um anyway so because I had fertility treatment they they give you an early scan as routine um so they booked in a scan for I would have been seven weeks and four days um the night before my scan I went to the toilet and noticed that I'd had um quite a lot of brown discharge sorry if this is TMI but (laughs) never TMI (laughs) and that obviously just led me to think well that that can't be a good sign and the first thing I did was I went on the Facebook group and I did a post and I said what you know what's going on and everyone was like oh no it's fine like you know bleeding's quite quite normal quite common don't worry about it just go and have your scan but I there was something inside me that just knew the scan wasn't going to be good so my scan and my sister came with me because thankfully they were allowing people in by that point this was in early December um and I had the scan and 
there was the sonographer was absolutely horrendous which really didn't help and she basically started doing the scan and she said oh um the baby should be bigger than this by now it's not looking good and then she said oh no 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 hang on hang on there's the heartbeat and I was just like oh my god like that was horrendous so she found the heartbeat and she said the baby is measuring smaller than it should it's measuring I think it was it was five weeks six days and it should have been seven four because you can't get your dates wrong can you when you've had fertility treatment because if you've not had fertility treatment the first thing they say is well you know your dates might be wrong you might have ovulated at a different time and blah 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 but I guess there was no doubt for you no doubt so we knew exactly when well we knew sort of in a range of two or three days when implantation would have happened so it could have been a couple of days behind but not, not 10 um so and she said to me you know it might be fine um come back in a week's time for a repeat scan um and I I said to my sister I was like I I know everybody wants me to stay positive but I'm just not and I just know next week's not going to be good news um so anyway so we I carried on for the week obviously that was the longest worst you you still have that tiny bit of hope right did you still keep thinking they might have got it wrong or and you read all these stories about people who've had scans and then they go again and it's caught up and things like that the first thing I did when I got home was I did another post and I said this has happened has anyone had a scan that's been 10 11 days behind that's caught up and everything's been fine and obviously I got loads of replies that were like yeah everything was great so there is that tiny part of you even though I knew search for it you search for like when I think so often we search for hope when everything feels so dark we just search for that glimmer and I just don't know I don't know if it's a good thing or not I think a lot about this and like is it a good thing to have that hope or does it hurt us more in the long run when we've managed to claw some hope and then I don't think it does as well I I don't think it you think it will but actually if it's worst case scenario it's, it's shit whatever yeah and I think I I don't know how but I just knew and I can't explain to you how I knew but I just did <laughs> I, I don't know how um anyway so that week was the longest week of my life and um we went back on the 15th of December with my sister again um and this time around I had my lovely lovely nurse who had kind of done all the scans and the lead up to treatment and she she was amazing and she said to me I'm going to keep the screen turned to me I'm just going to be quiet for a couple of minutes have a look for what I need to look at I'm not going to say anything and then I will tell you you know what's going on um so yeah I just kind of lay back um while they were doing the scan and I just remember her saying Lucy I'm so sorry it's not good news um sorry (laughs) um which I knew I knew she was going to say that but like you say there's still that tiny part of you that thinks maybe maybe that maybe I'm going to have had a miracle and the baby's going to have grown (laughs) significantly over that last week but yeah, yeah sadly it wasn't um and yeah so at that stage um I was referred because obviously this has all been done privately um and the the fertility clinic doesn't deal with um steps to sort of finish the pregnancy once they've discovered that there's no heartbeat so I got referred to um the local NHS hospital um and then I had to make the decision about how um how to deal with it basically and what to do next um and was given the options of either um taking tablets but because I should have been 
I think about nine weeks by that point they wouldn't let me go home to do that they'd want to keep me in hospital um to do that and they said you know it could take sort of three days before anything happens and you'll have to stay in hospital that whole that whole time and um I to be honest I was I feel awful for saying this but I was scared of what I would see and I Mm didn't want to see what was going to come out of my body and the whole I, I didn't want to deal with the pain so in the end I decided to go for a DNC because I thought that would be the quickest way to sort of get the physical side of things done um, and as it turned out it really wasn't but <laughs> that was what I thought at the time and it was also right before Christmas and I wanted to just have the physical bit done before Christmas so that I could then focus on the um, emotional side. Yeah so decided to have the DNC and that was on the 21st of December um, and again my sister was with me the whole time which was great and um the NHS staff were absolutely amazing and luckily my hospital where I went um, have links to a memorial garden so I was able to have um, the baby cremated and then the ashes scattered scattered at a local baby garden so that's been nice is not the right word but comforting to be yeah. able to place yeah. and go um so yeah that was that was that and I I somehow managed on the day I didn't go in for surgery until about five o'clock um and I just was really calm all day and wasn't sort of emotional I was just really this has got to happen and it's shit but you know it's got to be done and as soon as they took me down to theatre I just absolutely broke into a million pieces and my poor sister she was came down to theatre with me and then just had to watch me be wheeled off into this room in floods of tears and um they put me under pretty quickly thank goodness and then I came round, and the first thing I remember when you sign the paperwork one of the risks they ask you to sign off is that there is a small risk of having a hysterectomy um and they said you know it's a tiny 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 risk but we've got to tell you because it happen. So the first thing when I came around, I said, have I had a hysterectomy? Like what's happened? And they said, no, 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 it all went really well. And then I just was screaming. I was just screaming, saying, I just want my baby. Just give me my baby. I just want my baby. And it was just all I could, like all I could think of. Mm. And eventually they calmed me down and I'm sure the kind of anaesthetic and the drugs didn't help. But I just thought the poor people that (laughs) were dealing with this person that's just screaming and all the other patients in recovery must have thought, what the hell is going on? Um, Do you know, though, I've worked in theatres before and people even like, you know, 50 year old men coming around from a knee operation come round in floods of tears. It's 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 the anaesthetic. But then, of course, you've got the added. The hormones as well, plus plus the situation that you're in and the reason that you've had the operation. It's um, I'm not Bex will tell you I'm not very emotional. And every time I've had an operation exactly the same first question have I still got my uterus Um, but then yeah absolutely sobbing but if anyone has an operation and they come around and they're emotional it's completely normal yeah and I think it was just that realization of up until that point I'd still had the baby inside me and when I woke up the baby was more and it's 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 real then isn't it so it's done yeah so horrible 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 experience the worst experience of my life yeah Um, afterwards did you think was there ever any doubt about whether you would you would try again or were you like I can't I can't deal with that again 
initially when I had the second scan where they told me there was no heartbeat one of the first things I said was I'm not I can't do this again I'm not putting myself through this again I I just can't but then very soon after the DNC I started to think actually the only thing that's going to make me feel better is to be pregnant again um so I did I was sort of desperate to to start again as soon as possible after some time had passed um so yeah I think it was only that very brief moment where I thought I don't want to do this anymore um it's an amazing I think once you sort of flick that switch on your maternal instincts it's a it's an unbelievably powerful instinct isn't it the power to pro to procreate is just it's always yeah taken me by surprise and and it's something that we talk about a lot is um you know the strength of a mother's love can be seen in a woman trying to conceive after loss when you know what might lie ahead and particularly Lucy in your case when it's not as simple as just having sex to get pregnant you know you have to face that gauntlet of all the treatment as well is it, it just shows how unbelievably unbelievably powerful human nature is really isn't it yeah and one of the things I really didn't I I obviously prepared myself for having the treatment on my own and being pregnant on my own and being a mummy on my own what I did not factor in was having a miscarriage on my own and I wasn't on my own because I obviously had my friends and family but I didn't have a partner there to go through Mm. it with me never in a million years thought that it would be as difficult as it was just not having anybody there at sort of three o'clock in the morning when I was in floods of tears and you know, I, I had a really bad infection after the DNC, so I was quite unwell for a few weeks over Christmas and just not having anyone there. Um, and in fairness, people said to me, I'll come and live with you and help you. And I was like, no, 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 don't want anyone, just want to be on my own. But I think it's it's not the same as having a partner there that, no. that can just be your absolute worst um, and comfort you. And that that was really hard going through all that on my own. That's I, And I just didn't think about it before. No, I knew why would you? marriage but I just didn't think about it um so yeah yeah. everyone else is is removed aren't they like you know they can be around you as much as possible and give you as much support but when you go through that as a couple everyone else you're in it together and everyone else is just that just that tiny step removed they have their own lives they still go to work look after their kids or see their friends but yeah how did you how did you cope with going through that on on your own um not very well (laughs) to be honest to start with it was just I remember on Christmas day um this was four days after the DNC so still very raw um physically and emotionally and I remember I just everybody was very concerned about me being on my own and they wanted me to sort of come into the family and have Christmas dinner and everything and I was just like I'm really sorry but I just don't want to I just want to be on my own to process this and I remember I I took the dogs out for a walk at sort of mid-morning and um, we walked through the cathedral to get across to where we go for a walk and there were all these like families having a lovely Christmassy morning and I was just in floods of tears walking through and I I think that was probably the most alone I've ever felt in my life because I just Mm. thought nobody understands nobody knows what I've just gone through and what I had to go through to get here and now it's all been snatched away and I just yeah I just don't think I did deal with it particularly well for even like with the with people who understand what you've been through as in terms of losing a baby like that they 
the majority of those won't know what it's like to go through losing a baby but not having that person beside them so how did you did you manage to seek out people who have that same experience the solo mum by choice people who have who have also suffered that loss yeah so that that was somewhere once I was feeling a little bit better that I did really reach out to um I created a an anonymous Instagram account back in I think it was about August just before I started treatment but it really sort of came into its own um just after the miscarriage um and so many people just I I put a post up about the miscarriage and so many people reached out to me and just said you know if you need anything I understand you know I've been through this it's it's awful but we're here for you and um I'm also a member of a, a Facebook group um, for um, SMPs. And again, lots of people reached out to me. Um, and one um, other lady in particular I've um, chatted to a lot. Um, she sadly had a partial molar pregnancy and had a miscarriage about a month after me. And we've met up and we both said it's just like obviously friends and family are are great but they don't truly understand and it's having somebody that is following the same path as you in terms of solo motherhood who who gets it and who's been through the same is just absolutely invaluable so if anyone is listening to this and has sadly been through the same thing then I would definitely encourage them to reach out because yes they might just be faceless people on the internet but it's still knowing that you're not alone um and that was one of the things I really really got from this podcast was just I I started listening to it and I was like okay it's not I'm not on my own here this is really common and it's okay to feel all of these things that I'm feeling and Mm. ugly feelings as as you talk about a lot um so yeah I would definitely urge anybody to reach out and try and find support it's it's there (laughs) and what we'll do Lucy is we'll get some um accounts that you follow and um and resources from you that people can just we'll put them in the show notes and we'll share them in your in our On our, on our grid as well so people can easily find people to support them if they're going through what you've been through or an experience similar and I think it also helps as well like you were saying it's it's not um just a question of starting to have sex again it's psyching yourself up for the fertility treatment and I think that's another sort of phase where I felt I needed a bit of support just for people to say no that's the right thing to do you need to get on with it if that's what you want and um yeah sadly I was hoping I'd be able to tell you I was pregnant by now but (laughs) I'm not (laughs) but I am um carrying on so we'll see what's been happening since you had the miscarriage have you had Um, any other um treatments yes so I I had my first period after the miscarriage in January and I started again on my cycle after that, um, just because by that point I was really like, I have to get pregnant again. It's the only thing that's going to make me feel better. And um, so, yes, I had a round of IUI at the end of February um, and that unfortunately resulted in a chemical pregnancy. So I did the dreaded thing of testing early, <laughs> which I really regret doing now. Um, and it was showing very faintly positive. And then by the time of official test day, it was completely negative. Mm. Um, I'm glad I know because... I know that the donor I've selected works with my eggs. Um, so, yeah, so that one didn't work. And then I've just had another one um, in April, I think, um, which also didn't work. So I've had four in total and I've decided to move on to IVF now, which is a whole different scary ball game. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah I'm going to be starting IVF on my next cycle at the beginning of June so um, the odds are a lot higher so I'm feeling 
optimistic but I am quite anxious about it because it is it feels a lot more scary and invasive than what I've been doing up until now yeah I bet Um, if it gets you there it's worth it right and I'm still there's part of me that still my my due date was the 22nd of July and I'm so desperate to be pregnant again by Mm. date but it's time is it's not on my side at this point um but yeah it's um it's hard but I will keep going until I get there (laughs) so we place a lot of significance on that I think everybody does um and it's easy to say when you're not in that but it it isn't as significant as you as you think it's going to be um I think sometimes just having having a plan and knowing what you're doing and that you're working towards something is can make you feel less hopeless when that day ticks around and you're not pregnant by then. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And that's actually part of the, the the whole thing that I found the hardest is the waiting. And I think after the miscarriage, that that bit where you have to wait for your period, because you literally, I mean, again, if, if you're having sex, I know you can start having sex pretty soon afterwards, even if you, you know, you might not feel like it, but with fertility treatment, they want you to wait for your first cycle and ideally then have another one. Um, but again, Googling everything and it says, oh, well, you're, mo- you're most fertile for 12 weeks after your miscarriage. And I was like, right, well, I'm going to have to try and get a treatment in before that 12 week. And it's just, you know, but yeah, just um, keep battling on, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so sorry for what you've been through. It must be such a a challenging time for you, especially going it alone. But um, know that we we're here, and um, you're never alone. Podcast has helped massively, so thank you so much. Um, And it's yeah, been lovely to actually speak to you because I was saying to to you before um, Laura joined, (laughs) it's like speaking to celebrities. listening to you while I'm sort of pottering around and things at home it's nice to actually have a chat with you (laughs) thank you for like volunteering to come on because it's a topic that we haven't discussed with anyone and um and it's so important because there will be people out there who are going through this alone yeah Um, and even those who are going through it with with a partner will will no doubt relate to a lot of the feelings that you've had so yeah on Instagram I'm really really happy to talk to anybody that's considering this route or has been through this or you know part of the reason I opened my account was not just to document my journey but to try and help others that are in a similar position because it's not easy um and if I can help one person then I will feel like I'm doing something good (laughs) so if anyone does want to reach out please do bless you thanks Lucy thank you so much and keep us posted I will thank you for having me (laughs) everything crossed for you thank you take care all the best bye thank you so much everyone for tuning in and please please when you have a second rate us review us and share us and let's get this taboo smashed see you next week Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.